Ah, yes. Often heard in my house is, Dad, please stop singing. Welcome to the Mac DevOps YVR podcast. This podcast is about the Mac DevOps YVR conference in beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. We interview guests and discuss topics around managing Macs using open source software products inspired by DevOps. Our goal is to encourage developers and IT to work together to solve problems for our community. For more information, see our website, mdoyvr.com. This is the Mac DevOps podcast. Welcome to the Mac DevOps podcast, where we talk about all things Mac, open source, the cloud, and anything that sort of comes to mind. I am joined by my amazing, strong, comforting, warm, beautiful co-host, JD. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. I'm staying warm. <laughs> you got your duke. You got your duke. I have my two. You got your it's beard. in the basement and my pandemic beard. It reminds me of this old kids in the hall sketch where this guy goes on vacation and he gets a beard and he comes back in the office and he refuses to shave it off and then it turns out the beard's an alien sent to kill him but you know that's it <laughs> today on our episode about beards we um interview a well-known beard loving friend patrick wardle from objective c how are you patrick i'm good matt jd stoked to be <laughs> back on the show talking nerdy you know i didn't know beards were going to be the topic of discussion but let's run with it <laughs> or not <laughs> you said you said nothing was off the table so we're Fair point. right into beards <laughs> pandemic beards <laughs> the thing you know? yeah yeah well we saw the big news um you had a change of career I did. I did. I've been working as a principal security researcher at Jamf for about the last year and a half, which has been great, but I uh, really wanted to kind of take a step back out of the, uh, let's say the daily grind and focus more on uh, community efforts, nonprofit projects, um, and Objective-C kind of has um, the capability for me to focus on uh, some of that. So I uh, kind of said, Goodbye to corporate America and uh, have dove in uh, hook, line, and sinker into uh, the unemployed life and uh, focusing on uh, Objective-C's open source tools, uh, the open source books I'm writing, and then the community-focused uh, Objective by the CMAX Security Conference. So uh, excited about I mean, all of that. There's a reason Just you a live in things. Hawaii, right? That is true. And I live amongst a lot of hippies. So I think some of their, you know, freedom loving ways have rubbed off on me for better or worse. Well, I think uh, full disclosure, JD and our, we're big fans. Isn't that right, JD? Yes, I have. I have everything uh, installed and uh, alerting me all the time that I'm doing things on my computer and accessing networks and, oh, you turned your camera on. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, the, the updates have been amazing actually i mean you've you've just been at it in the last couple of weeks getting updates out there to support the m1s and big sur and and all of that it's been really spectacular thank you yeah i mean and that was part of the the onus or the motivation you know i was kind of working jamf nine to five and then evenings you know i really wanted to make sure the tools were still compatible with apple's latest changes uh, you mentioned the M1 chip, uh, so obviously that was a uh, decent amount of work porting uh, a lot of the tools and still working through that, but getting those working or running natively uh, on the ARM platform. Big Sur had a lot of changes, uh, for example, Lulu, Firewall, probably one of the more popular uh, products, um, you know, switching that over to use Apple's new 
network extension framework um, as they deprecated kernel extensions. So, you know, work I love, but it was taking up a lot of time. And, uh, you know, this whole work-life balance was really just a work balance. <laughs> and so uh, kind of, again, <laughs> right. step in this direction was to be able to uh, basically have more time to focus on uh, the, these these tools, which I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, the other really thing that I think was, was neat was a lot of them were uh, open source sourced or shared sourced with a Creative Commons license. Uh, I went ahead and made everything fully open source. So, you know, every library, every tool, uh, every product is now uh, fully open source in, in GPL, uh, which is good too, because I think that will encourage more community involvement. Um, you know, I'm also a big believer that security tools should be open source, uh, you know, obviously then other researchers can, uh, you know, take a look at them. Um, so really kind of excited about that. I'm I know there'll be a lot of, uh, uh, let's say, feature requests and uh, hopefully not too many bug issues on GitHub, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to be busy uh, with that. But that was, that was really excited. Um, you know, I, I, kind of my original thought for maybe not open sourcing all the tools was that it would give corporate entities the ability to kind of repackage them and, and, and sell them, which, you know, open source licenses allow. Um, but, you know, I was kind of a one person shop, so I didn't want to put myself at disadvantage. Well, interesting aside, it turned out that uh, at least one company did that anyways. Uh, it was interesting. I was analyzing um, uh, something else that kind of led back to their, their product. And uh, I noticed that they had reverse engineered one of my tools and stolen the code, the algorithms, um, and implemented it verbatim essentially in their product that they were then selling. The story took an interesting turn because I emailed them and basically showed them, you know, a binary diff in the disassembly and said, hey, there's 50 ways to skin this cat. The way you skinned it was identical to the way I do it in, um, you know, one of my products. And interestingly, they immediately fest and <laughs> wired money, wired money me had, or wired me a, a decent chunk of money, <laughs> but <laughs> which was, you know, a good silver nice. lining, but it showed me that, you know, companies are going to, uh, if they're unscrupulous, they're going to, you know, steal and pillage anyways. So I um, might as well go and open source it. Uh, and then at least that way there, there are stipulations in the open source license. And uh, I think legal consequences, if a company is, uh, you know, not conforming to that. Uh, but that was, that was kind of interesting. But, you know, at the end of the day, I really think fully open sourcing everything with, um, you know, a trusted open source license is really what's best for the community um, and especially for security tools. Maybe to back up a little bit, we, we did just jump in, but you're known for a bunch of free security tools. Oh, and yes. They weren't, and they weren't open source originally and open source being a participatory community involvement in code, but freeware, like free, it means here's, they're posted on my website. I'm going to share them with you. And, and that's usually a model that works for a lot of people because not everybody wants to, to, you know, contribute. Sure. They just want to take. <laughs> and everybody was super happy to, to use your tools and, and definitely the way you got into everybody's imagination and onto their computers was these awesome tools, uh, you know, checking for persistence, because that seems to come up a lot, especially uh, looking at your your book that you started, you know, malware comes in, how does it stay? Persistence. Exactly. So having these cool apps to investigate persistence is definitely a good tool you've given to the hands of people. 
Um, obviously, that Objective C tools, which has a great name, which is a play on the code language Objective C. <laughs> that is true. Uh, <laughs> While giving you the ability uh, to see into your yeah. computer objectively. <laughs> <laughs> and then it leads into the Objective by the C conference, which I think brought you more into fame and infamy. <laughs> infamy, let's go with. Yes. Yeah. 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 The, the conference is really uh, something that I'm excited about too. And the idea was looking around, you know, there's this very passionate Mac security community, but there weren't, there wasn't a, a conference uh, focused specifically on Mac security topics or even just broader Apple security topics. So you know, I was chatting with my friends and, and they suggested, Hey, you should organize a security conference. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So we were throwing around names and then Objective by the Sea just clicked. Uh, you know, I'm lucky enough <laughs> to live uh, in Hawaii, which is by the ocean, the sea, same, same-ish. Um, yeah, you're kind of in the middle of the <laughs> Yeah, <ocean>. <laughs> Objective <laughs> in the middle of the sea. Um, and so the idea was to create this community-focused uh, conference that focuses on max security topics. And it's amazing. And, you know, I didn't really think about this at the time, but I present a lot of uh, security conferences, go to a lot of cybersecurity conferences. A lot of them are great and they have a very, uh, very wide and varied uh, amount of topics, which is good because kind of there's something of interest to everybody. But I'm pretty much just interested in Mac security topics. So I'll go to one or two talks and then, you know, I'll take a nap and, you know, do something else. Um, whereas it's, it's actually really neat when you have a conference that's exclusively focused on the topic that you are interested in. Uh, one of my favorite stories, one of the speakers at uh, one of the previous events gave a great talk. Afterwards, I was chatting with her and said, hey, you know, well, you know, your talk was great. You know, feel free to go spend the rest of the day at the pool, you know, enjoy Hawaii. And, and she was like, I'm actually super interested in every single talk that's happening this afternoon. Uh, so I'm going to I'm going to stay and hang out. And that was really cool. So I really also like that uh, component of the conference that if you're interested in Mac security topics, iOS security topics, you know, the large percentage of the talks at the conference are going to be of, of interest. Um, so that's, that's really nice. And we also always try to focus on having the conference in really unique uh, locations. Another uh, kind of inspiration for the conference was one of my friends saying, hey, my company has a conference and training budget. If you organize a conference in Hawaii, my company will pay for my flights <laughs> and my hotels and I can bring my family along. You know, they can hang out at the pool. I'm, you know, getting nerdy with the rest of y'all. And, and I was like, oh yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. Um, so it's really grown into this really uh, exciting um, opportunity. Matt, I know you're involved in conferences as well. So there is a decent amount of work, but when you see people coming together uh, and at the event, I think it, it really all makes it worth it. Uh, so, Yeah. Uh, speaking as one of the conference organizers from Mac DevOps, there's a lot of work involved, but a lot behind the scenes. getting people to getting people together is amazing. And there's so many reasons that objective by the sea is, is a super, you know, a plus event. And one of them, obviously it's the location, you know, people like, Mac DevOps because it's in Vancouver and when they could go and travel, people like that. Exactly. Hawaii, it's beautiful. I'd never been there before. So you gave me a reason to go to Hawaii for the, for the first time. Um, and, and the second, <laughs> and the second time. Yeah. And there will be more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it inspired me to bring my family too. So that was, they thank you. Win-win. Um, but yeah, one of the other, <laughs> one of the other reasons I liked about Objective-C was, I mean, obviously great topics, but 
like Mac DevOps, the single track. Definitely. Basically, everybody's on the same ride. And so I'll be sitting in a talk about hacking Jamf and then another one about hacking installers. Another one's reverse engineering disassembly. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> so you have the, the whole range. And I find that when you're stuck in a single track, you are forced to participate and learn more. And I think that's the best thing because you actually surprise yourself by learning some cool new things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's something that will will definitely stick to. Another thing I think that's kind of in that same vein is the size, right? We usually only have 100 to 150 people. And you know, one of the main feedback points, and I'm sure you've heard this as well from the attendees of your conferences, smaller conferences are actually, in my opinion, um, a lot better of an experience, a little more intimate, better for networking. Uh, and, and because you know, after the talk, you can, you can go up to the speakers, uh, you, you know, you can connect with your friends. It's not this, you know, massive 20,000 person event where everyone kind of gets lost in, in the numbers. Um, so I think yeah. that's another component uh, of the conference that uh, we'll definitely maintain. And, you know, honestly, there's not that many <laughs> Mac security researchers in the world yet. <laughs> so it's also, uh, you know, it's kind of a win-win <laughs> where if we were aiming for 20,000 people, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we would <laughs> be at a loss. <laughs> yeah. It's the same with Mac DevOps. It's a small community of people that are writing code or want to work with open source code and working on projects. And I mean, like yourself, you know, you reach a little bit further sometimes than your topic to find cool speakers Definitely. or you, you try and, I mean, you've always had a really good diversity of speakers and that's always a good, a good challenge. You know, you're trying to find people from everywhere from different that represent different areas of expertise and, and make sure that people see themselves on stage, you know, a lot of good speakers at Objective by the Sea. Yeah, thank you. I think we're super lucky, very passionate community. And I think it's also uh, a fairly young community in the sense that Mac security research, it's you know, not something that's been around for 10 plus years or very limited. So we have a kind of a lot of, uh, of new people entering in. So you know, maybe it's easier to kind of get into, like you mentioned, uh, there's going to be a more diverse uh, you know, uh, speaker set that we can pull from. Um, but it's, it's great. You know, I feel super blessed that, uh, you know, we get a lot of really good, good submissions. Um, and you know, the people who come, the attendees are just super appreciative. So it's really one of the, the highlights, uh, of my year. Um, and you know, we, we normally do it every nine months, obviously with COVID that's been pushed back, but we are aiming for an in-person event, uh, in late October. Uh, it's going to be in, in Europe. What we do is we do one in, uh, you know, in the North America and then one kind of internationally, uh, in, in Europe. So, uh, we, we had the version 3.0 in Maui in March, uh, 2020, which, uh, pulled off yeah. by the skin, yeah. skin of our Just teeth. Maui was really lucky. There was down. no cases at the time. <laughs> Things were all open. Um, you know, everyone was pretty safe. And, uh, so, uh, but you know, yeah. very <laughs> in retrospect, uh, yeah. it was, it was, uh, pulled that off. Well, <laughs> um, and so that was the last, last conference for me and yeah, JD in 2020. Same. We made so it back really home stoked. to, to keep, you both were able to yeah. make it. Um, yeah, I was definitely cutting <laughs> a little close. Uh, but by October, I, I hope, um, you know, especially, you know, travel within, in Europe will be, uh, safe. I feel like, uh, and we're obviously monitoring the situation and, and going to have virtual options uh, as well. But, um, I think by then, you know, um, again, because the conference is smaller size, it'll be, uh, possible yeah. to have, uh, you know, a, a, a safe event. Hopefully by then everyone will be vaccinated and, and we'll be able to move forward with that. You've done a good job of streaming it as well. 
uh, all of the conferences. Awesome. So that's been been nice, even if the hours are a little <laughs> yeah <long laughs> yeah we we live stream uh, upload to YouTube. Uh, we'll we'll try to probably hire a professional to do that instead of you know me well, on the table <laughs> because <laughs> you know I'm sure it could be done uh, a little more professionally. But yeah, I think it's important because again, the goal of the conference is to disseminate information, and so if someone can't attend yeah. in person, we want them to be able to uh, virtually access that content uh, because you know we're seeing adversaries and attackers really step up their game. Max become more prolific. Uh, you know, I think a study that just came out showed they're almost at uh, 25% within the enterprise, which is huge. Uh, and so opportunistic hackers, wily adversaries are taking note. And as Apple increases the security of these devices, they respond uh, and really we're seeing some very sophisticated attacks uh, and, and more attacks. So uh, I think also one of the goals of the conference is to continue to kind of educate and bring in new people, uh, you know, kind of into the army of of Mac defenders so that we can, we can counter these, uh, these, these new malware, these new viruses with, with tools, detections, uh, you know, digital vaccines, have you, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> Lots to dive in on there. We have, I, I mean, separating it into two, two piles, we'll do the, uh, you know, the fake dichotomy, the false dichotomy of 50% opportunistic hackers making money <laughs> yeah. and then 50% state actors. I don't know. Maybe there's a third pile there, but it seems like people are trying to rip off your Bitcoin wallet. And maybe those are the state actors too. It seems like they've taken over or they've taken some of the methodology of some of the opportunistic ha hackers. Maybe they're trying to cover their tracks more, but um uh, what do you see in that landscape? Or I know sure. you don't dive into motivations too often, but it does maybe when you're trying to credit certain malware to certain groups, you might have to think about who, who's their target. Yeah, definitely, Matt. And I think the way you, you broke that down is exactly right. We basically have two main categories of, of, of malware. You have uh, one that's created by cyber criminals that's largely financially motivated. Uh, that's the ultimate goal of the malware generally. And then on the other hand, you have cyber espionage malware that's created by nation state adversaries. You know, the average Mac user is luckily not going to be targeted by the nation state government. If you are, you probably have bigger problems. Um, but yeah, so the average Mac user, is going to be, you know, a lot of adware that's trying to display ads, hijack uh, search engine results, or maybe stuff that's a little more insidious, installing a keylogger to get your credit card information, steal your, your account, uh, your Chrome passwords, for example, or as you mentioned, the cryptocurrency wallets are um, kind of a big trend recently. Uh, so we definitely see that. One interesting trend we saw in 2020 was a lot of malware that runs <clears throat> on Windows and or Linux being ported to macOS for the first time. So uh, Dackles was one example. There was another one called Gravity Rat, uh, another one called, uh, I believe, IP Storm. Uh, so this is interesting, but really unsurprising, right? As Macs become more prevalent, hackers have especially if they have cross-platform malware that works on Linux uh, and Windows, really not that much more work to port it to Mac OS. It can then talk to the same backend infrastructure. A lot of times they can use the same infection uh, techniques, you know, maybe uh, social engineering. Hey, there's a flash update that needs to be installed, et cetera, et cetera. So it really just gives them a whole new target set. Um, so probably going to see that trend continue. On the nation state side, it's definitely uh, some interesting developments as well. You mentioned kind of the overlap and uh, probably the most prolific nation state, or at least the most visible is Lazarus Group, uh, normally attributed or associated to North Korea. And predominantly their malware is interested in 
stealing cryptocurrencies. Uh, we don't see them going after individual users as much. They go after employees at or administrators at these large cryptocurrency exchanges, which if you think about it, that's really where you want to be going if you're an evil hacker trying to you know, gain access to uh, cryptocurrencies. And interestingly, I believe the reason that the North Koreans are doing this so efficiently and prolifically is because a lot of the sanctions that Western governments have placed of the, on them has kind of really uh, put a stranglehold in terms of their financial capabilities. Whereas if they can gain access to these anonymous cryptocurrencies and then maybe launder or funnel that out to more traditional financial uh, means and methods, well, it's given them away almost a sidestep, perhaps some of those sanctions. So very ingenious. They always say, um, you know, invention is, or there's something about uh, necessity is the mother of all inventions. And so uh, it's, it's interesting to see, though, the Lazarus group uh, targeting a lot of macOS users, but not everyday users, kind of these admins at these cryptocurrency exchanges. So that's kind of some of the trends we're seeing. Um, we're also seeing the sophistication of Mac malware increase. You know, two or three years ago, it was all pretty basic, kind of like lag Windows malware, but I, by, I would say, 10 years or so. But, you know, anecdotally now, we're seeing both the infection ve vectors and mechanisms as well as the capabilities increase. And this is a direct response to Apple improving the security of the platform. It's always going to be a cat and mouse game. It's obviously a good thing for Apple to increase this kind of the built-in, the baked-in security of, of Mac OS. But to respond then, the attackers are evolving. So for example, we've seen them abuse Apple's notarization service. Uh, notarization is basically an Apple-approved checkmark on software. Uh, attackers have been able to submit malicious code to Apple's notary service, bypass their checks and get that stamp of approval so that it'll run even on Big Sur. And then we've also seen, uh, you know, the increase of, for example, zero day vulnerabilities to, uh, for example, bypass some of macOS's built in privacy mechanisms to access certain files or uh, capabilities on the system. So that's another trend that's interesting. Uh, you know, again, not surprising. This is how hackers are going to respond, uh, but something we'll likely see, you know, just the increased sophistication, uh, the leveraging of exploits and the abuse of Apple technologies to perform uh, malicious activities. So you mentioned notarization, and I know I had fun with this when I was trying to figure out how to do it so I can <laughs> deliver some of my apps to my clients. Yep. It adds an extra step for developers. And I know I've sent my feedback to certain developers when they don't notarize, but maybe we should just talk about the category in general. What is Apple doing and requiring of developers to encourage secure software? Sure. Yeah. And so notarization is actually a really good step in the right direction. So the majority of Mac malware, or sorry, the majority of Mac users are infected through fairly basic social engineering type uh, attacks. And what I mean by that is they'll browse to a website, there'll be a malicious pop-up saying that their flash is out of date or something needs to be updated. And some percentage of users, unfortunately, will naively fall for this, download what the website provides, run it, thinking they're you know updating their software as they should be. Well, in reality, now they've just infected themselves with, with malware. And there's a lot of variations on this, right? There's an attachment um, comes in on an email, hey, open this PDF document. Oh, it's really a malicious application. So the end result, though, is basically the users are infecting themselves. So what Apple has said is, okay, we're going to try to step in here. And in order for software to be allowed to run on recent versions of Mac OS, uh, I believe it's 10.15 and 11.0, uh, 
plus is developers have to submit their compiled software to us first. We will scan it for known malware. We'll do some other checks to make sure that it is not malicious. And then we will give it this stamp of approval. This means if the software does not have this stamp of approval and the user is coerced or tricked into running it, the operating system will refuse to run it. So again, Apple has really kind of taken a step in the right direction to protect the users basically from themselves. So what legitimate developers have to do, and Apple has now done a really good job as you're building it in Xcode, which is the, the IDE, the program you use generally to create software on Mac OS, uh, when you go to release your application. There's an extra button you can check. It takes the compiled binary, sends it up to Apple's notarization service. They do some checks to make sure it's not malware, scan it, and then basically uh, return it with a, a stapled notarization. I just think of it as a stamp of approval. And then you can distribute your applications and it will run even on the latest version. Uh, the idea was obviously malware authors would not be able to do this because as they uploaded the samples to the notarization service, it would detect and block that. Now no system is 100%. So unfortunately some samples slipped through the cracks and were inadvertently notarized. But to Apple's credit, they're still collecting all these binaries. And so very quickly, if something is reported to be malicious that was inadvertently notarized, they A, already have a copy of the binary, so they can do more analysis on it. And B, they also knew, know who signed it. So very quickly, they can revoke that certificate so it won't run on any other systems. So I think that's also a genius of the system that we don't talk a lot about is Apple is building this huge corpus of binaries. And even if they miss something up front, they have a copy of that that they can perform deeper analysis probably get a human in the loop, and then always continually feed back into the notarization scanning logic to uh, improve that. So I think it's just going to get uh, more and more difficult. Ultimately, though, it's not a system that will be ever be 100% because you can imagine a scenario where a malicious application just beacons out to uh, a server for an update. And for the first three weeks, the update is just some legitimate code, right? And then once it's been deployed and got notarized because it's just downloading and installing an update, uh, it then swaps out the server-side payload and, you know, that's the malware. Um, or another idea, you know, you could pack the sample, uh, you know, and there's legitimate applications that, you know, provide DRM or packing capabilities. And again, maybe only perform the malicious action at some point in the future, you know, if, if the notarization system is trying to do static code analysis or dynamic analysis events, it's likely not going to see any malicious behavior. Uh, but again, this doesn't discount the whole system. It's a great step in the right direction, but we shouldn't treat it as a panacea, right? It's not a silver bullet. It's not going to stop everything. No, and, and I have to stop myself sometimes when I run into software provided by certain vendors that I trust and, you know, my clients are using and they say, here's instructions how to bypass this notarization <laughs> because we haven't notarized our software. And I email them and go, you need to notarize this Definitely. because you can't have on your website training users. I mean, we all have Such a good dialogue point. box yep. fatigue, yep. but you can't have a, a knowledge-based article on your site saying, oh, just do this because it's going to ask for that. And you don't want to do, no, no, notarize your software. I mean, it, it's painful. I mean, I don't use Xcode. And so I had to figure out how to do it on, on command line. And it's totally yeah, totally doable. Yeah. But it took a little bit of effort. Definitely. And there's that good SD notary app as well that helps you as well. Once you figure out you need an application password and you need a special cert. But <clears throat> even before the whole notarization, people were abusing just signing your software. And the same exactly. people maybe complaining about notarization were complaining about why do we have to sign our software? 100%. So 
people were, you know, signing up as developers and then abusing that privilege. Apple can revoke the signature. Maybe they were stealing other people's signatures. I'm not sure how, yeah. but they were. Yeah. So you were, I think you were saying, or maybe Thomas Reed saying, you know, if Apple's requiring notarization, so some of the malware will just say, oh yeah, here are the instructions in the DMG. Just right click on this, open this, you know, they're trying to tell them how to get around it because they're not notarizing. So exactly. And we're, we're seeing that in some cases where the uh, developer malware authors uh, are basically providing, as you mentioned, instructions. So when you click, there's a pop-up saying, Hey, you got to right click and, and run on this. And, um, you know, I think Apple will eventually disallow any non-notarized software. I think the reason they have to provide this kind of bypass is because as you mentioned, some vendors are not really on board. And, you know, I, I see both sides, right? Apple continually placing these new requirements is, is daunting and you have to refactor your code. And I mean, if you're like a, you know, a big company with lots of developers, I don't think there's an excuse, but I could still see, you know, there's, you know, there's some pain points and you always have to keep up with Apple's latest trends. So that's difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I think in the future, Apple will fully shut that down. But in the meantime, as you mentioned, Matt, there are uh, there is malware adware that is providing these kind of user-assisted bypasses that basically tell the user how to get around that. Um, and I think we'll probably see that continue. It seems to come down to social engineering, right? Yeah, it's Whether you explain same. it in yep. the DMG. I mean, there was this Xcode uh, uh, faked or Trojan Xcode, but the most recent story was the Visual Studio code projects that were socially engineered. If some malware actor, maybe from North Korea, maybe some somewhere else, <laughs> gave these Visual Studio code projects to somebody, hired somebody to help them disassemble or work through something. I don't understand disassembly, but they gave them a project. And yeah, to their credit, they're running it in a VM, but they were being used and they were being hacked somehow, totally. you know, into the VM. <laughs> so social engineering, right? Oh, like it's in insane. So you have these incredibly sophisticated social engineering attacks. And I think those are here to stay because humans were, were vulnerable, right? We can't be patched. <laughs> you know, someone says, Hey, Patrick, I'd love your help. Can you please run this and test it out? You know, like you're the best researcher, you know, I'd love you. Like, you know, I'm going to be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, hopefully run it in VM, but like, you know, there's definitely angles uh, attackers can play up to. On the other end of the spectrum, you have these sophisticated supply chain attacks. Uh, I think SolarWinds is a great example. Um, we have seen this on Mac OS as well, where hackers will... Uh, in, uh, infect or hack legitimate third-party developer websites or company websites and inject their malware directly into the build process there and then distribute. And if you're a user, like you're toast. There's literally, because it's signed, it's coming from the legitimate developer, like there's essentially nothing you can do. The good news is Apple's notarization should still hopefully apply. If you're still a legit company, you still have, you still have to submit your software to Apple. And so hopefully... Um, they are kind of scanning that. Now, you know, if it detects it or not, who knows? But it was interesting thinking about could the solar winds type thing, which uh, was a Windows-based uh, software supply chain attack, happen on Mac OS? And the answer is probably, but there would be this extra step where, you know, um, and I'm sure Microsoft is looking at Apple somewhat jealously saying, wow, Apple just, you know, sets the rules, makes, every, makes everyone have to conform to them, including something like notarization. I'm sure Microsoft would love to be able to do something similar. And, you know, maybe we'll see them moving towards then um, because in theory that should help counter some of these sophisticated uh, supply chain attacks. But as you mentioned, Matt, the attacks are just getting more and more 
sophisticated, both the software engineering one, the supply chain one. So, you know, it's great job security for all of us, <laughs> for better or worse. Well, it seems like <laughs> Apple's doing, I don't know, a lot of different, using a lot of different techniques. I mean, changes to, um, you know, the file system for one. Definitely. I mean, compartmentalizing the system, making a read-only volume, making a, a sealed, signed system volume that's running on a snapshot. Yep. I mean, they're trying to trying to limit the damage. Uh, I always go back to this degrade gracefully. So if things break, they want to break them down slowly, but not ruin the whole entire experience, I suppose. I mean, what do you think about some of these other developments Apple's doing? You mentioned gatekeeper, sure. notarization. Yeah. No, that's a great point. And honestly, I think that's a very mature approach to software uh, protections and to operating system defenses. I mean, it's really defense in depth. You realize that adversaries are always going to find ways. They're always going to get in. You know, users are going to click on stuff. So you say, okay, we're going to do our best, but we're going to build this compartmented system. Great example is an application sandbox. Uh, So for example, macros, Word documents, right? A very popular infection vector. Well, now uh, Office runs in a sandbox. So even if macro code is executed, either by the user clicking allow or some other exploit, that malicious code is going to find itself running in a very constricted sandbox environment where it really can't do much. It can't persist. It can't access the user's files. Essentially everything it wants to do, it, it can't. So now it has to have an additional exploit to break out of that sandbox. Okay, imagine... Someone found a very nice way to do that. Okay, now it's running as outside the sandbox, but as a user. Okay, now it probably wants to elevate to root. Uh, but now even if it finds a way to do that, the operating system uh, files are protected by system integrity protection, or you mentioned they're on a read-only snapshot. It's cryptographically verified. They can't modify that. So it's really this uphill battle. And yes, sophisticated adversaries are going to find ways around that, but the bar is continually raised. Back in the day, you open the Word document, macro code ran, game over, right? Now that's like foot in the door and there's all these other obstacles. So I think we're going to see Apple continue down this path. It just makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's what they've done on iOS and you know, iOS is a very, very secure platform. Um, and so I think we're just going to see uh, Mac OS become more and more locked down and compartmented. Paradoxically, there's an interesting side effect to this, and I think it's best illustrated on iOS, is when a system becomes so locked down, this actually ultimately benefits sophisticated adversaries. So imagine you're a three-letter agency, you want to hack someone. Let's pick on Matt, right? So Matt's got, Matt's got the latest, greatest iPhone. He's, he's of interest to the government for, <laughs> we'll make up some hypothetical reason. They have the capabilities to develop you know, zero-day exploits, or procure them for a large sum of, of money. They can then throw them against, say, uh, your iPhone. Uh, might, they might use iMessage, right? There's been a variety of zero-click iMessages. Well, first, the iMessage traffic is end-to-end encrypted, meaning Apple can't see this, which again, usually thought of as a good thing. But this also means no other scanning solution exploit detection mechanism can see the payload as well. So from the attacker's point of view, that's really good news because a lot of exploits have been lost when they are intercepted during their delivery. Uh, So from an attacker's point of view, that's very problematic. If there's an end-to-end encrypted communication channel, wow, just solve that issue. So now the exploit has gotten to your system securely. No one's intercepted it, sniffed it, uh, so it can be patched. Now it it targets your your device. Uh, If it's successful, it's gonna persist, gain access to all your system. 
Well, we think about our iPhones, right? We can't even run a process listing to see what processes are running. So because they're so locked down and because Apple disallows any reasonable security tool from running uh, on these iOS system, once the malware or once the attacker's payload has entered the system, like it's, it's in, right? It's not gonna be detected. And I don't know what the solution is for that because obviously if you start saying, yeah, you can now do a process listing and you open up the system for third-party security tools, well, that also opens up new attack vectors. And we've seen time and time again where adversaries leverage uh, security tools as a way in. SolarWinds is a great example, right? My understanding is that was a monitoring tool that people installed to help protect their systems. And ultimately that's what the hackers leverage. But I do like to point out this concept because... For example, I have no idea if my iPhone is hacked. Um, there's some tools I can run. I can maybe sniff network traffic. But if a sophisticated adversary has gotten in, not only have they got access to everything, there's no way for me to run a tool and figure out, or there's no easy way. We're on Mac OS. I feel like I can poke around. I can see what processes are running, what libraries are loaded. I can on the box examine the network traffic. Um, so it's just an interesting thing to consider that as a system becomes more and more locked down in the name of security, that also prevents uh, you know, insight into what's actually happening. So once a sophisticated adversary has found a way in and they will find a way in, you know, they now no longer have to worry about being uh, detected. So it's just kind of a, for me, something I, I think about a lot. It's definitely, it's definitely a big issue. Yeah. I mean, at uh, some clients where security is high, we often run into the SSL, the HTTPS inspection. Exactly, so, perfect example. Like. The idea is to see what's going on. Sure. The result is a lot of things get broken. Yeah. <laughs> so Not a good a solution, of, right? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you know, and I get these automated notices. Oh, there was detection of some encryption here. What's wrong? I'm like, nothing's wrong. This traffic thing. has been encrypted <laughs> because it's secure. <laughs> so how, how do the good guys, how do people detect what's good, what's bad? You know, like, like you said, it's... it's there's a battle. Yeah. The good thing is, uh, at least on macOS, Apple has seemed to recently understand the value of third-party security products. And while they deprecate certain technologies that previously these security products leveraged, for example, kernel extensions, uh, Apple said, okay, we're going to take those away from everybody, but we're going to give you a new, uh, you know, for example, uh, endpoint security framework that is specifically designed for third-party security products. So that's great. So Apple, I think, has so far, at least on macOS, understood that uh, you know users want some additional security tools, the ones that are maybe power users or paranoid about their security. Um, you know, and so Apple has made uh, you know frameworks available. So that's refreshing to see, right? If Apple just pulled out network extensions and didn't offer an alternative, um, that would definitely hamper a lot of security tools, and I think ultimately would uh, probably drive a lot of at least security conscious users away from the platform. So it is good to see Apple understand both sides. And I believe in a lot of scenarios provide a really good solution that uh, is secure, but also enables third-party security products to perform their uh, necessary job. So that's... Yeah. Your, your Lulu firewall is really nice. And when Apple provides a good framework <laughs> for a pun, uh, yeah. then you can build good tools. Exactly. And when you can convince them to follow their own rules, <laughs> like with the latest Big Sur update, you can now monitor Apple's traffic where you couldn't before. Yeah, yeah. And that was, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So Lulu, it's a free open source firewall. I, I, I write um, for Big Sur, uh, had to leverage Apple's new network uh, 
extension framework uh, because Apple has deprecated network kernel extensions, which is what firewalls used to use. Few issues though, the new framework was sort of buggy. So I got all these bug reports and people are like, caused a kernel panic. And I'm like, my user mode app should not be able to crash the kernel. And you look at it and of course it's a bug in Apple's networking code, but because my firewall is using that, and essentially triggered the bug in Apple's code, I get yelled at. <laughs> and then there was the issue you mentioned of Apple exempting their, their, their own traffic. The analogy I like is, imagine you're at an airport and security, the TSA here in the US, is checking your IDs and your boarding pass before letting you through. Well, if you note, they also check the IDs of the airline employees, which is good. Well, imagine they didn't, and anyone who worked for the airline or for the airport could just walk right through. And then imagine that anybody could actually masquerade as an airline employee and skip security altogether. That would be really problematic. So that, unfortunately, was exactly what Apple did, uh, where their network extension framework exempted a lot of Apple applications from being filtering, uh, filtered through the framework so that firewall security could examine what was going on. And it turned out there are mechanisms to kind of masquerade as then one of these allowed applications to sidestep any third-party uh, firewall product that was leveraging this uh, framework. Good news is Apple eventually acquiesced. I think there was enough bad publicity <laughs> where people were like, hey, like we understand that the airline employees don't want to have to you know, show their badge every time they go through, right? That's annoying. But you know, this is for security, this is important. And again, back to the airport analogy, Airline employees have to show their badge just like the, the rest of us when we go through. So Apple acquiesced. Now all their traffic is routed through the same network extension framework where it can be verified by uh, a firewall. So yeah, there are some missteps, but I do feel like Apple's security team uh, generally gets the idea. And especially when there's some external press that maybe is painting Apple in not the best light, uh, that oftentimes really helps correct or you know steer the boat in, in a good direction uh, so again happy ending traffic is now uh verified and malware cannot leverage these uh previously exempted applications to bypass or sidestep sidestep the uh the third-party firewall products small a small win in the longer battle exactly <laughs> we'll take it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as part of that, Apple's also vetting who has access to these new frameworks, exactly. right? So that's an added yeah, layer yeah. of security. And that's an interesting one, JD. It's a great point because these frameworks are very powerful, right? You can, for example, um, you can monitor or filter or examine network traffic. So you don't want a piece of malware doing that to you know, sniff all the network traffic on a box because there's a lot of sensitive information. Uh, so Apple has made many hoops. Uh, I would argue maybe too many, um, but you know, for example, first you have to have a developer ID. Uh, you didn't have to submit request for a certain uh, entitlement that they only give to reputable companies. Uh, on the system, the user then has to manually approve uh, and click through, I think three or four prompts. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's a process that probably malware is never going to abuse. I, should, I, I don't want to say never, you never should say never, but, um, you know, Apple's made it kind of like this 20 step process. Uh, so again, as a third party developer, right. it's like, man, like users get frustrated because they have to click through like five boxes. It's like, and authenticate and put in their password. And it's the, the issue is there's these, uh, several systems 
in Mac OS that aren't really connected that I feel like Apple hasn't done a really good job. So, you know, once the user has authenticated once and, you know, allowed something like that should, I think, carry through because asking them, you know, to do that all over again or click through more prompts, like if they click through the first three, they're going to click through the last two. Um, and if they don't, right. then you're stuck in the middle and your product's kind of broken because it's like half approved. Anyways, I won't go on a rant, but yeah. <laughs> you're also fatiguing them <laughs> yeah, with exactly. dialogues that they're not going to read. Yeah. And again, you could only even request, uh, generate these, these prompts or the OS generate these prompts if you have these specific entitlements that Apple is very, very, very careful about uh, giving out. So, um, you know, it's like there's a ton of checks, which are good, but I think it's kind of a little too far. And it's almost like, you know, Windows Vista where you know to click allow to everything and and the pendulum has right. kind of swung that way so hopefully we see them bringing back and saying hey if the user clicks once authenticates you have the entitlement you know you're and you have to be notarized and you have to be signed if you've checked those five boxes okay the user should only have to you know click allow and enter their password once um, it it creates a burden on the user and definitely. it creates a, a large burden on the system in me and JD are on the system oh, in community yeah. side and so Apple's been pushing sysadmins more to, you know, their homegrown scripts, which is probably good away from that to other systems, you know, and you could use a large MDM system like Jamf or simple MDM or other ones, but you're using the MDM mechanism, you're writing profiles, creating profiles, and then sending these profiles down. Yeah. And so I think there's some negatives to that system. There's some single points of failure, Sure, but you're say you have an app that is requesting access to your downloads folder, your, your external volumes or universal access or different things, you can set a profile and then have your machines that you manage just get these allow allowed items just cleared for them. So they don't have to click on dialogue yeah, boxes. Yeah, yeah. You know? I think that's Apple's approach to basically say, hey, ultimately we want to be towards a more managed solution, which works great for the enterprise. But for users, there's this kind of user fatigue. And I even know for the MDM stuff, for example, for uh, a firewall, the user has to allow the system extension and then has to also allow the, uh, the network extension, which is also a system extension. And from an MDM point of view, you actually have to create two separate payloads to allow that, which again, just seems a little spurious in my point of view. So, Or you want your users to use Zoom. Uh, it <laughs> took a lot, of, a lot of screaming in the beta period to allow for a profile, not even just to allow it, but to allow the user to potentially allow it wow. before it was like a only user thing. You could never just pre-approve it. That's crazy. If you're, you're imagining a fleet of, I don't know, more than five machines would be a pain in the butt. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, but now they can send a profile saying they're allowed to approve zoom on their machine if they want, but you can't approve it for them. Oh my I mean, it's security. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And unfortunately security and usability are often different ends, but I think there's a happy medium where you know, if you're in a managed environment, uh, you know, you should be able to push out a profile that maybe pre-approves Zoom, right? It, you know, and have the operating system validate Zoom, see that it's notarized, see that it's Zoom, you know, because the user is going to click allow anyway. So, yeah, but. Um, I think it's also uh, Apple's uh, internal silos uh, becoming external. Yeah, definitely. Externalized a little bit. So do you think Big Sur is more safe than Catalina? Should everyone be on Big Sur? I would say now, uh, you know, I think Apple has had a few releases to kind of um, 
fix some of the the bugs, you know, the usability issues, uh, which are going to be in any new, big new release, and also roll back some of the issues. The network filtering one was a big one, which you know really was a security uh, issue. Although I believe that was also in Catalina, no one just said anything about it. Um, but yes, hundred percent, everyone should be running Big Sur. Apple has done a great job baking in a lot of security mechanisms into the operating system. And uh, you get those for free when you, you upgrade. Uh, so, you know, for the average Mac user, uh, you know, really one of the best things they can do to uh, prevent themselves from getting hacked is really just run the latest and greatest version of the operating system. Because as I mentioned, there's a lot of these like baked in, built in, uh, you know, malware mitigations, security mechanisms that Apple has integrated directly into the operating system that malware has a really hard time uh, struggling again. So I think that's uh, kind of a no brainer. Apple's ARM systems too, M1 chips, also a ton of huge security wins there. Um, so I think, you know, I picked up one of the new MacBook Airs. Um, there's just a lot of baked in security features kind of at the hardware level, uh, both in the ARM architecture. Um, one example is just, you know, the T2 chips on the Intel systems are all vulnerable to the check rain exploit. Uh, Apple didn't really fix those because it's a hardware fix, which is you know difficult to do. And I think they want people to move to their new ARM platform. Uh, so you know that's an example of well, the new ARM systems aren't vulnerable to that uh, to that to that issue to that exploit. Um, so again, obviously, not everybody can just run out and buy new hardware. But I think if you are you know you have the opportunity, uh, get one of the new ARM systems. And make sure you're running the latest version of, of Mac OS. And, and then that's actually a pretty difficult target to hack. Uh, you know, Apple, again. I think it's a good strategy. I mean, if Apple changes architecture over a couple of years, you got to stay one step ahead of the malware developers. <laughs> yeah. The issue is uh, Apple has done a really good job allowing legacy code to run. Uh, you know, the Rosetta. It's too too. good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because they understand, yeah. too, that if your favorite application isn't going to run on the new system, like you're not going to upgrade. Um, so unfortunately malware still runs <laughs> well uh, via Rosetta. The Rosetta is not installed by default. That's true. So that's, that's one win. Um, again, to the, a lot of the M1 security features or the arm benefits come at a time of, of exploitation. So things like uh, pointer authentication, um, et cetera, et cetera, just basically generally more difficult to, uh, exploit an ARM-based system versus an Intel-based one. Um, so it's kind of like shutting down even the initial uh, exploit vector for a remote or a, an attack that uses uh, vulnerabilities or, or zero days. Well, I look forward to reading more blog posts from you, especially about the new hardware. And I love all your apps. I recommend everyone to go get your apps. We'll put a link in the show notes to your Objective-C apps page, your new GitHub open source page. And there's the book, The Art of um, Malware. Yes. Malware Analysis. Yeah, exactly. Oh, a, lot of, a lot of words. <laughs> so I love to write. Uh, and I really you know, saw there was kind of a, an opportunity to create a community resource, a comprehensive resource that provided information about how to analyze uh, Mac malware. So uh, the book is called The Art of Mac Malware. Volume one is analysis. The idea is you know, if someone hands you a binary or a script and you don't know what it does, how to exactly go through and, and analyze that. Uh, the book starts out pretty introductory, so explains how Mac malware works, how it infects systems, what persistence is, how it can persist, what are the capabilities. And it uses a lot of examples from real-world malware specimens, so you can get a really kind of good hands-on feel. Then definitely takes a deeper dive into the, te uh, the technological aspects, reverse engineering, 
you know, decrypting scripts to figure out what they're doing. Uh, but it's, I think a really interesting read, uh, whether you're a malware analyst from the Windows side of the house coming to Mac OS, you already kind of know what persistence is, but want to learn about, hey, how does malware persist on Mac OS? Or if you're a Mac admin who understands how Mac OS works and want, wants more information about, you know, threats facing the, the operating system, I think there's a lot of really interesting uh, information uh, as well. Uh, and also students, uh, cyber, cybersecurity um, interests. It's definitely an interesting read. I think Mac admins, um, there's a crossover. We are used to disassembling bad software yeah. to repackage <laughs> it and, and deploy it. Um, so we have a certain, Perfect. even though we're not technically disassemblers or reverse engineers, yeah. a lot of times half the talk on the Mac admin Slack is how do you take this software apart and actually repackage it so we can actually oh, deploy that. it? Yeah, no, I've and it's, it's, it's great. And so a lot of those skills, Matt, as you mentioned, directly apply to when you're trying to figure out what a piece of software is doing, if it's uh, malware or not. Um, the other cool thing about the book is it was created kind of uh, in a format where users could provide feedback, comments, editable suggestions. So there's a lot of actually really invaluable insight from uh, other members in the Mac security community. You know, for example, Thomas Reed, Phil Stokes, other uh, Mac malware researchers. Uh, so that's, that's cool. Uh, it's free. It's online. If you go to uh, taomm.org, theartofmacmalware.org, you can read through the chapters. I'm also talking to a publisher. So there's going to be a published version as well. There will always be a free uh, version online because again, the main goal is just to disseminate this information. And I will just, as an end, say, you know, one of the reasons I'm able to open source all the software, create this community conference, create this free book is, uh, you know, thanks to uh, the sponsors of the Objective-C research. Uh, two main ones, one password, and uh, as of yesterday, Jamf, which I'm really excited about. Um, nice. So, you know, these are companies that are supporting a lot of these open source community efforts. And I just want to acknowledge them for also kind of, uh, yeah, both supporting the community, but also uh, you know, increasing the security of uh, the cybersecurity arena for all Mac users around the world. So it's it's really a win-win and, and something I'm super grateful for. Well, you do a lot of great work for the community, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's great to be on the show talking nerdy. Obviously, I'm very passionate <laughs> about all of this. Um, yeah. And so, you know, check out the book, check out the tools. Uh, you know, hopefully you can uh, attend the conference or live stream in. Uh, again, the goal is just to collaborate, connect with the community, and uh, hopefully make sure our Macs remain secure, especially from the North Koreans. Well, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, hopefully we can, we can see you in person again in Maui and, and maybe in Vancouver one day. That would be great. All, oh, so thanks, Matt. Super appreciate the support. Uh, yeah, no, Max, Matt, Matt and, and JD are great uh, supporters of the conference and also all these stuff that Objective-C does. So I, I want to yeah. thank both of you uh, wholeheartedly for having me on the show, but also all their support, the, the retweets uh, and, and everything else yeah. to do. Um, support you in Patreon yeah, too. Patreon, so the thank you. Uh, it's really- Through all your difficult years at Jam, we supported you and now- <laughs> Now I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm really happy because again, the the Friends of Objective-C program that Jamf is is um, a partner, is a, a friend, a sponsor through. It's great because, you know, uh, I'm able to maintain a professional collaborative relationship with them, which is good because, you know, the, the product they're working on, the team there is full of just brilliant individuals, really good friends. Uh, so I feel like, you know, part of me is left, but part of me is also still there. So um, it's, it's, it's really wow. a win-win situation, which That's uh, amazing. I always look for those.
the, I, we do Mac DevOps because we love the community and we love how people help each other. And I noticed that the security community com- community that I see on Twitter and at the conference, just so many good people that are so helpful. I mean, they get frustrated with Apple sometimes, but <laughs> Don't we all? who doesn't? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they seem to all respect each other and help each other. And uh, we just got to encourage that behavior more and more often. And I think you're a model. You're a very model of a modern major security researcher. Awesome. Thank you. (laughs) It's something that I feel like there's a lot of community support, um, both just kind words, people coming to the, you know, if I organize a conference and no one showed up, that would suck. So I think, you know, it's great that they're, you know, I'm able to use my kind of unique skills in 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 a way that benefits the community, but the community also gives back so much to me as an individual. So it's something I feel is just, again, uh, a win-win scenario that I, I feel f- super fortunate. So again, I also really want to thank, you know, everyone listening, all the, the users out there, uh, you know, who reading the book, downloading the tools, uh, you know, providing feedback and comments. It's, it's something that collaboratively, I think we can, we can continue to grow this amazing, uh, amazing community, uh, which is uh, just incredible. Thank you so much, Patrick. We're rooting for you. Woo, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks guys. This has been great. If you want to sponsor the Mac DevOps podcast, uh, just give us a shout at hello at mdoyvr.com. We'll be accepting sponsorships for the podcast and for the next year's conference. Thank you to our Mac DevOps YVR 2020 sponsors. Our sponsors for Mac DevOps YVR, the conference 2020. Mac Stadium, our platinum sponsor. Thank you so much for helping us out. Sauce Labs, our gold sponsor, Simple MDM, our silver sponsor, and Adigy, our bronze sponsor, as well as Elastic, our community sponsor. Thank you so much. Uh, we couldn't do it without you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today for the Mac DevOps podcast. Thank you to our guests, and thank you to our co-hosts. Today's episode was edited by JD Strong. Please like and share this podcast on your favorite podcast service. I mean, my kids figured out that if I was nearby my laptop, they could just hit the space bar and it would unlock because of my watch. <laughs> Your watch is too close. <laughs>